0: Book the second, part seven of a Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the second, part seven. The wet day arrived with all the promptness that might have been expected of it in this land of rains and mists. The alder bushes behind the gymnasium dripped monotonously, leaf upon leaf. Added to this being the pearl of the shallow stream a little way off, producing a sense of satiety in watery sounds. Though there was drizzle in the old meads, the rain here in the thicket was comparatively slight, and two men with fishing-tackle who stood beneath one of the larger bushes found its boughs a sufficient shelter. "'We may as well walk home again as study nature here, Willie,' said the taller and elder of the twain. "'I feared it would continue when we started. The magnificent sport you speak of must rest for to-day.' The other looked at his watch, but made no particular reply. "'Come, let us move on. I don't like intriguing into other people's grounds like this,' Dostancy continued. "'They're not intruding. Anybody walks outside this fence.' He indicated an iron railing, newly tarred, dividing the wilder underwood amid which they stood from the inner and well-kept parts of the shrubbery, and against which the back of the gymnasium was built. Light footsteps upon a gravel walk could be heard on the other side of the fence, and a trio of cloaked and umbrella-screened figures were for a moment discernible. They vanished behind the gymnasium, and again nothing resounded but the river murmurs and the clock-like drippings of the leafage. "'Hush!' said Dare. "'No pranks, my boy,' said the stentis suspiciously. "'You should be above them.' "'And you should trust to my good sense, Captain,' Dare remonstrated. "'I have not indulged in a prank since the sixth year of my pilgrimage.' "'I have found them too damaging to my interests. "'Well, it is not too dry here, and damp is your health, you say. "'Have a pull for safety's sake,' he presented a flask to, to, to Stancy. "'The artillery officer looked down at his nether garments. "'I don't break my rule without good reason,' he observed. "'I am afraid that reason exists at present.' "'I am afraid it does. What have you got?' "'Only a little wine.' What wine? Do try it. I call it the blushful hippocrene that the poet describes as tasting of flora and the country green, dance and provincial song, and sunburnt mirth. Stancy took the flask and drank a little. It warms, does it not? said Dare. Too much, said Stancy, with misgiving. I've been taken unawares. Why, it is three parts brandy to my taste, you scamp! put away the wine. Now oh, you are to see something, he said. Something? What is it? Captain de Stancy regarded him with a puzzled look. It is uh, quite a curiosity and really worth seeing. Now just look in here. The speaker advanced to the back of the building and withdrew the wood billet from the wall. Well, I believe you are up to some trick, said de Stancy not, however, suspecting the actual truth in these unsuggestive circumstances, and with a comfortable resignation, produced by the potent liquor, which would have been comical to an outsider, but which, to one who had known the history and relationship of the two speakers, would have worn a sadder significance. I am too big a fool about you to keep you down as I ought. That's the fault of me, worse luck. He pressed the youth's hand with a smile, went forward, and looked through the hole into the interior of the gymnasium. Dare withdrew to some little distance, and watched to Stancy's face, which presently began to assume an expression of interest. What was the captain seeing? A sort of optical poem. Paula, in a pink flannel costume, was bending, wheeling and undulating in the air, like a goldfish in its glow, sometimes ascending by her arms nearly to the lantern, "'then lowering herself till she swung level with the floor. "'Her aunt, Mrs. Goodman, and Charlotte de Stancy, "'were sitting on camp stools at one end, watching her gyrations. "'Paula occasionally addressing them with such an expression as, "'Now, aunt, look at me. And you, Charlotte. "'Is not that shocking to your weak nerves?' "'When some adroit feat would be repeated, "'which, however, seemed to give much more pleasure to Paula herself "'in performing it than to Mrs. Goodman in looking on.' The latter sometimes saying, Oh, it is terrific. Do not run such a risk again. It would have demanded the poetic passion of some joyous Elizabethan lyrist, like Lodge, Nash or Constable, to fitly phrase Paula's presentation of herself at this moment of absolute abandonment to every muscular whim that could take possession of such a supple form. The white manila ropes clung about the performer like snakes as she took her exercise, and the colour in her face deepened as she went on. Captain de Stancy felt that, much as he had seen in early life of beauty in woman, he had never seen beauty of such a real and living sort as this. A recollection of his vow, together with a sense that to gaze on the festival of this bon was, though so innocent and pretty a sight, hardly fair or gentlemanly, would have compelled him to withdraw his eyes, had not the sportive fascination of her appearance glued them there, in spite of all. And, as if to complete the picture of Grace personified, and add the one thing wanting to the charm which bound him, the clouds, till that time thick in the sky, broke away from the upper heaven, and allowed the noonday sun to pour down through the lantern upon her, irradiating her with a warm light that was incarnadined by her pink doublet and hose, and reflected in upon her face. She only required a cloud to rest on, instead of the green silk net, which actually supported her reclining figure, for the moment, to be quite Olympian, save indeed that in place of haughty effrontery there sat on her countenance only the healthful sprightliness of an English girl. Dare had withdrawn to a point at which another path crossed the path occupied by distancy. Looking in a side direction, he saw Havel idling slowly up to him over the silent grass. Havel's knowledge of the appointment had brought him out to see what would come of it. When he neared Dare, but was still partially hidden by the boughs from the third of the party, the former simply pointed to the stancy upon which Havel stood and peeped at him. "Is she within there?" he inquired. Dare nodded and whispered, "You need not have asked if you had examined his face." That's true. Fermentation is beginning in him, said Dare half pitifully. A purely chemical process, and when it is complete he will probably be clear and fiery and sparkling, and quite another man than the good, weak, easy fellow that he was. To precisely describe Captain De admiration was impossible. A sun seemed to rise in his face. By watching him they could almost see the aspect of her within the wall, So accurately were her changing phases reflected in him. He seemed to forget that he was not alone. And is this, he murmured, in the manner of one only half apprehending himself, and is this the end of my vow? Paula was saying at this moment, Ariel sleeps in this posture, does he not, Auntie? Suiting the action to the word, she flung out her arms behind her head as she lay in the green silk hammock. Idly closed her pink eyelids and swung herself to and fro. End of Book the Second, Part Seven.